Blog Talk Radio. Broadcasting from deep in the Eublifaris galaxy, on a small planet called Gekonia, east of the albino hills and south of the raging leucistic river, comes the one, the only, Gecko Nation Radio. Good evening, everybody out there in Gekonia. I hope everybody's doing good out there, and I hope your holiday season is going well so far, and I hope the rest of it is going to be great. Um, tonight's show, uh, today is December 15, 2013, and tonight's show is about ethics in herpetoculture with Andy Salicito. And uh, basically, I want to ask all of you guys to think about this. Uh, what kind of ethics do you have? All right, how does, like if you were an outside organization looking at the reptile community and looking at the people that represent the reptile community, would you and, you, and you came across yourself, would you say that you are making us look good uh, as mature, responsible reptile owners? Uh, a lot of people believe, and Andy believes, that we need to make our community look like it's soccer mom friendly. And... Um, you know, and it may not always look that way from the outside to the outside world. Um, how people view reptile owners is very important uh, to our survival as, or actually to the survival of our rights to be able to keep doing this. Um, so we're going to get into it tonight. We're really going to uh, go to the core of the issues, and we're going to bring up some stuff that hopefully hopefully makes all of you think a little bit, all right? And uh, let's see how everybody in the chat room, everybody hear me okay in there? How's everybody doing? Wow, a bunch of people already. Cool. Um, all right. Uh, one other thing that is important that I got to tell you about, and that's this. Did you know that since 2006, there's been a treasure trove of history and information on leopard geckos and other species? Well, Gecko Forums is the most extensive database of leopard gecko history on the web right now. Take a look and delve into the past, present, and future of this great community. The biggest contributors, breeders, and hobbyists have left their mark there. Now it's your turn. Look, learn, and post away. Need a place to post animals for sale? Look no further. Visit geckoforums.net and become a member today. Gecko Nation Radio is proud to be the official radio show associated with Gecko Forums. Yeah, that's right. You heard it right. Gecko Forums is awesome. Um, we got some cool news for uh, Gecko Nation Radio, and um, it's, it's really cool, actually. Um, actually, two things i got to tell you guys about. The first thing is we picked up a new sponsor, Rainbow Mealworms. If you guys don't know who Rainbow Mealworms are, go on the, on the Internet, www.rainbowmealworms.net. Make sure you are careful to put .net because uh, there's other ones that try to copy them. But um, Rainbow Mealworms is the largest uh, mealworm and worm farm, and they're in California. And uh, just want to give a shout-out to Jillian Spence, who runs uh, Rainbow Mealworms, awesome uh, feeder company to deal with. If you guys need crickets, mealworms, um, that's that's where I get all my stuff from exclusively these days. So uh, definitely check out Rainbow, everyone. Um, another thing, this Tuesday, coming up, two days, 
and that will be the 17th, um, we're doing another roundtable discussion. And this one is timely because uh, the breeding season is upon us. It's just about to start. For some of us, some of our geckos are already ovulating. And um, it seems like every year, that, at least with leopard geckos, the ovulations start coming earlier and earlier. And uh, it seems, I don't know, maybe we'll be, maybe the new breeding season will be in July in a few years. You never know. But um, for this special episode, uh, Sea Serpents and uh, Hot Box Incubators is sponsoring this particular show. And I'm going to be talking to uh, Chris tomorrow and um, see if he wants to do anything special. But um, and I, for, this, for this special episode, I invited uh, Matt Baranek from Sassabek Reptiles, uh, Marshall McGinnis uh, from Golden Gate Geckos, and John Scarborough from Gecko Boa Reptiles. Um, these are the three people that did the previous roundtable discussion with me. And we will be mixing it up in the future with different people for roundtable discussions. But I felt that um, these three people basically have, I don't know, some of the best information out there on incubation. Marsha's 17-plus years of doing it. Matt's, I don't know how many thousands and thousands of eggs he's hatched out. And John, of course. Uh, these, these people know what they're doing. Um, so I, you know, as far as getting good information out to you guys, I couldn't think of three better people for this. I mean, the, you know, I'd, I'd love to have Ron on and others, but, you know, they're busy and stuff. So, But, of course, you know, these three sources are incredible. Um, and you guys can ask Matt how many eggs he's actually hatched out in his lifetime. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to venture to guess it's at least upwards of 20,000 by now. You never know. Um, yeah. One other thing, guys. You know, speaking of sponsors, uh, this Gecko Nation Radio would not be possible without our sponsors and sponsors very carefully. Um, it, it, I said this before, you know, people that sponsor this show and businesses that sponsor this show are very important because I will never represent or basically vouch for a product or a business or a breeder or a company that I don't truly believe in myself. Um, that's important to me. And I want my sponsors, uh, sponsors, to know that their plugs are sincere, and um, it's just—it's just—I don't know—it's the best way for me to do things. I mean, yeah, I could start taking sponsors from all over the place and say, "Oh, this is great, that's great," but you know, sooner or later, people like you know be like, "Oh, Dave thinks everything's great because they're sponsoring a show," and you know, guys, that's just so not the case. These are sincere sponsor plugs. So check this out. Gecko Nation Radio is a David Fine Gecko's creation and production. You can visit the show's Facebook page at Gecko Nation Radio. I also have a great family-friendly group on Facebook called Gecko Nation. Apply for membership today. Gecko Nation Radio is sponsored by Gecko Boa Reptiles is your source for the highest quality leopard gecko morphs and wild types, from white and yellows to radars, amazing tremper morphs, and rare subspecies. John is a world-class breeder and extremely knowledgeable. If you're looking for something truly special in geckos, Contact John Scarborough at geckoboa.com and on Facebook. And if you're looking for quality food for your dubia roaches, crickets, mealworms, and superworms, look no further than MS2 Premium Insect Chow. Made with reptiles in mind, it contains no dog food, cat food, or chicken mash. Using only vegetable proteins and high-quality ingredients, MS2 Premium Insect Chow will have your feeders making a beeline for it. Contact MS2 ent.weebly.com or 
It can also be purchased at Rainbow Mealworms and AB Dragons. Dale's Bearded Dragons is your one-stop source for any reptile supply products that you may need, from Exoterra, Zoomed, Rapashi, Repcal, Fluker, and much, much more, and all at 20 to 50% cheaper than your local pet store or big chain pet store. They are also the biggest reptile supply distributor at most of the Northeast Expos. Contact them directly online at dalesbeardeddragons.com or message me on Facebook and I'll put you in touch with the owner. Razor Sharp Reptiles. Like the name suggests, Jamie Carnes has some sharp gecko and snake projects in the works. He is very well known for his work with rare species such as cave geckos, but also has some of the prettiest radar projects I've ever seen. Razor Sharp Reptiles is also known for high-end fantails and beautiful rainwater leopard gecko morph projects. Check out RazorSharpReptiles.com online and on Facebook. ABDragons.com is your source for the highest quality doobie roaches, whether you're starting a colony of your own or just need feeders for your insect-eating herps. ABDragons.com can't be beat in quality or price. They are also a huge distributor of FlexWatt Reptile Heat Tape and have very competitive pricing. Check out abdragons.com online and on Facebook. Okay, everybody, what can I say about Andy Salicito? Well, whenever I speak with him, the first thing that comes to my mind is his intelligence. Um, Engineers are usually pretty smart anyway, and he's an engineer. Um, His conversation is just very stimulating and tactful, and I really like his view on things. Um, Let's go ahead and bring on Andy. Andy Salicito, you are live on Gecko Nation Radio. Hey, Dave. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing very well. Um, Thank you very much for coming on, Andy. Um, Speaking to you during the week, uh, we had a pretty good conversation. Um, I'm actually really looking forward to what we're going to talk about tonight. And I think it's timely and important um, for the community to hear some of uh, definitely your views on things and what we're going to talk about tonight. So uh, thanks for coming on. Ah, Glad to be here. Um, Before we get started, Andy, if you don't mind, um, for people that don't know who you are, I know a lot of people in the community already know you, but uh, for people out there that don't know who you are, please uh, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, if you don't mind. Well, from a reptile standpoint, I am probably what you would consider to be a supreme lurker in the industry. Uh, (laughs) I actually had my first apprenticeship under the assistant to the director of the Crotalid Collection at the Staten Island Zoo in New York, uh, mm-hmm. Back in 1972. Wow. So, uh, yeah, that just means I'm old. But <laughs> well, anyway, not that old. I I started out back in the day when if you wanted to learn about reptiles, you literally had to read books and make friends and offer yourself up, uh, you know, basically for slave labor. I mean, when I started working with, you know, with snakes. I was cleaning cleaning cages, washing cars, scrubbing the toilets, you know, doing basically all the grunt work just to be able to get into a room with a handful of exotic animals. And, you know, back 40 years ago, it wasn't like it is today. I mean, a, a zoo collection that had 30 or 40 different species was actually a pretty big deal. Uh, and I've been to pet shops that have 40 or 50 different species. So things have come a long way. Uh, most of it's been for the betterment of the hobby, but there are a few things that we've evolved into that personally I'm not t- terribly proud of. 
Okay, I know, and we're going to talk about some of those things tonight. Um, now, Andy, I I got to tell you, before we get into your uh, interview and everything, we're going to we're going to do the news and everything with with Steve. But before we do that, I want to mention that um, I was born in '76, okay, and I first started keeping reptiles when I was about eight years old, and I'm almost 38 now. So, you know, I basically a 30 year old, a 30 year herper myself, and so I remember those times when. You know, back in the day, we were just, you know, happy to keep things alive. We weren't even so uh, concerned about breeding them in captivity. And um, it was definitely a different different time. Um, I had to read books to, to learn everything I know. And I have a, I don't know, I have boxes of reptile books, all the good ones. And, you know, that's how we did things back then. I mean, today information is a little more readily accessible to people. They don't really have to work too hard for it in most cases. But um, I think that experience that, that we had, you know, learning is is the best way because, you know, we really learned what we know today by, we earned it, more or less. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I, I remember my first ball python. I mean, back in the day, a good ball python was one that had, you know, fewer than, say, 20 or 30 ticks on it when you picked it up. <laughs> right? <laughs> Everything oh was God. wild, caught, nothing ate. And, yeah, you, it was... You know, there was there was a certain badge of honor in having an animal, you know, live more than six months in a collection. You know, right. and you know, long-term captives were what you bred about. You know, not purple snakes with you know one green eye and one blue eye. <laughs> I know it's so true. Um, let me tell you a little something about Steve. Okay, Steve is our news anchor, and he's going to give us I don't know a handful of stories. Uh, reptile-related stories, and one of those stories, Andy, is going to be a false story. And you and I, I don't know which one's false. Uh, you don't know which one's false. Nobody else in the chat room knows which one is false. So after he tells us the stories, we're going to try to figure out which one's the false one. Now, let me tell you something. Steve is a trickster, okay? He gets smarter and adapts every episode. He's like the Borg, okay? Just when you think you figured out his style, with the false stories, he switches it up on you, okay? So I'm just giving you a fair warning about that. So pay attention, and maybe you'll guess which one is the false story. Okay, Andy? I'll give it a shot. <laughs> okay. All right. Now, give me one second here, guys. I'm all over the place with my notes and everything today. Good evening, Gekonians. Good evening, Steve. How you guys doing? Doing good. How are you? Pretty good. Trying to dig our, dig ourselves out of the snowstorm. Oh, you guys <laughs> get a lot of snow up in New York? Uh, yeah, probably close to a foot and a half where I am. In the last, oh, man. last day and a half, it's snowed like crazy. Jeez, yeah, we got quite a bit here today, too. Sucks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, since 2010, the United States Association of Reptile Keepers, or USARC, has been working to oppose the listing of constrictor snakes under the Lacey Act and laying the legal groundwork for a possible challenge to any listing. Having notified the United States Fish and Wildlife Service in April 
of our legal and public policy concerns over both the listing and pending or listed and pending species, we have determined that the, the time is right to formally challenge the rule. USARC has created a legal defense fund and is asking for contributions to help fund that legal defense. Mm -hmm. Yep. So, okay. That sounds cool to me. Yeah, definitely. Which leads us to our next story, a state legislation. Legislation will be introduced in early 2004 in Arkansas to ban all reptiles within the state and require a permit for residents who currently own reptiles. If passed, a permit could cost up to $150 per animal every two years. This bill is a result of numerous reports of missing or loose reptiles. Oh, my God. Yeah. That would suck. I, oh, yeah. Yeah. I hope that's a false one. That's, you know, we can fight it on a federal level, and then then the state could take over on a, you know, on a state level, unfortunately. Even on a county level. Oh, yeah, or a town. I mean, city yep. or town. Yep. Yep. Like I, like I I've I've said it before. I have I have a city right next to me that has banned all reptiles. All reptiles are illegal within the city limits. That's crazy. Yeah. All right. And our next story. And I've never heard of this cockroach. The Turkestan cockroach, an invasive species was first noted in California in 1978 and is now well established throughout the southwestern United States. Turkestan cockroaches are popular with reptile keepers as a source of food for their reptiles and easy to order online across state lines. It is believed that the roach originated at Fort Sharp, a military base in California, and suspect it was unknowingly brought back from the Middle East by military personnel. And a quote in the art, from the article, Regardless of how the roach got here, it's unusual for an invasive species to be sold so readily and freely online. That's that's one thing that I worry is, are at... At some point, are they going to start going after our food items? Jeez, right? You know, because that that would hit us hard if we couldn't couldn't access food to feed our animals. You know, what are we going to do? Well, I think we have to uh, all start breeding our own insects. Yeah. It yeah. Be part of the process. You want to own reptiles? You're going to have to make your own food for them. It's uh it may just happen. We'll see. Yeah. But it was already part of the deal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Okay, our next story's not too reptile related, but a Florida artist is making chess sets where all the pieces are taxidermied mice. And the only reason I w went with this story was for the quote in the article, don't feel sad if these little guys were not battling it out on the chessboard. 
they would be deep in the belly of a snake. <laughs> so, oh, man. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> uh, so how do they make them look this different? Like, uh, what are they, dressing up the mice as the king and queen and stuff? Or yeah, yep. Yeah, they, they dress them <laughs> up as, you know, bishop, king, queen, knight. You know, that's they dress each little little mouse up that way. Did the Steve Carell do that in the movie? Pardon me. <laughs> I don't know. Did Steve Carell do that in Dinner for Schmucks? Oh, I don't know. I think he did. If you said Steve Carell was making a chess set of mice dressed up as chess pieces, I I would definitely believe that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, our our next story. Hundreds of Puerto Rican crested toads hatched at the Buffalo, New York Zoo and were sent to the island as tadpoles last month to reinforce the endangered wild populations. So that's awesome. I always like to mm-hmm. hear about that. And I, I would personally, at some point, like to get into some kind of repopulation effort down the road, I would yeah. love to be able to do, you know, like a local thing. Yeah. A local species and help with that. It's kind of That's been cool. a dream of mine. Yeah. And um, our last story, and a lot of this is directly from the article. A Ghana man got the fright of his life and ex- experienced what is the ultimate nightmare for many men when his penis was bitten by a big black snake as he sat on a public toilet. Oh my god. (laughs) Oh my god. Oh, I can't even think about that. Yeah. I couldn't leave the story out. I'm sorry. His his piercing screams of snake, snake, snake led to a mass panic in the public toilet with men fleeing in all directions. <laughs> the snake oh my God. was not venomous and he should make a full recovery. <laughs> wow. That was That's our crazy. last story. <laughs> yeah. All right. I, I, I'm sorry. I couldn't pass that one up. It, you know, no, that's that's crazy. Now I'm never. I'm not going to sleep good tonight thinking about that. Thank you, Steve. That, that's wow. just disturbing. I mean, I'm I'm already nervous when I have to open up the waist high level drawers in the rack. Now it's going to be worse. Oh God! Wow. Well, that's to crazy. make it worse, the article said that that was the second in I believe two months. The second time that had happened, and I believe it was two months. <laughs> so. Oh my God. Wow. Well, you know, I never sit on public toilets anyway. And, uh, you know, I just, I'll drive somewhere. I'll drive home or whatever before I have to sit down on a public toilet, you know. Um, and I guess now the whole thing is, you know, you guys got to look inside the bowl before you do anything, just to be sure. So, uh, well, it was second reported in 2013. <laughs> okay. I looked it up again. That's crazy. Yeah. All right. All right. For everybody that has ADD out there, Steve, let's have a recap. All right. Recap is U.S. Arc has an important announcement. Arkansas Mm -hmm. reptile legislation 
Invasive mm-hmm. cockroach spreads in California. Taxidermy mm-hmm. chess. Endangered mm-hmm. toads hatched at Buffalo Zoo. And man using public toilet gets b- penis bitten. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, right. cracked me up. <laughs> All right, what do you guys say out in the chat room there? Let's see what your guesses are. Uh, go ahead, Andy, you're our guest tonight. What do you think is the full story? Um, God, I really want it to be the Arkansas story because that would just be a horrible precedent to set. Um, yep. So that's, I'm really, I don't know whether that's the one that's, that's the bogus story or not, but I'm really hoping it is, so that's what I'm going to go with. I'm with you. I'm going to go with that, too. Some of the people are saying, well, Jeff says, I don't know, Jeff's making a joke about the hot dog. Sean says <laughs> the last story. <laughs> um... Angela says it's hoping the Arkansas story. Yeah, Steve, please make us feel good and tell us that Arkansas story is false. That is the fake story. Oh, thank God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Right. I don't think well, I could have made it. up so, some of those. I don't think I could have made up. <laughs> wow. Okay. Right. Really... For, yeah. <laughs> for the Herp history... On July 12, 1939, for the first time in the United States, a python hatched its young on its own at the Hershey Zoo in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Up to that time, there had been nine species to lay eggs in captivity, but none were fertile. The the clutch consisted of 20 eggs and only three hatched, and it didn't list what species it was. But July 12, 1939. Wow. Awesome. It's not that long ago. Not really, if you think about it. No, not really. I like like looking up the the history. You know, I think it's it's interesting. I'm still looking for, and if anybody can help me, I want to know when the first leopard gecko was ever bred. And I cannot find... I cannot find... I've been hunting for that, and any geckos would be nice, you know, to find out. But um, I've been hunting around for some gecko history, and it seems to be pretty tough. I think a lot of the the news is covering, you know, big reptiles. That's, you know, but, uh, yeah. I'm going to take a guess, Steve, and I'm going to say it was either um, Felipe... Davis Jolie, or um, I hope I pronounced his last name right, or uh, maybe even Ron Tremper that uh, possibly bred the first ones in captivity. I don't know, because that was back in the 70s as well. Um, well, Ron will be on after the New Year. We can ask him and see. All right, cool. Yeah. Cool, yeah. Yeah, I'm always looking for gecko stories, you know, but that's mm-hmm. kind of tough. Every, everything's about the, you know, primarily big snakes, so... Yeah, Mike in the chat room says that somebody, that we need to start doing some pranks on Steve. <laughs> <laughs> and I think he's right. I think we're going to have to get you yeah. sooner or later, Steve, for giving us heart attacks here. So yeah. we're going to think, yeah, don't be surprised. If, uh, we'll get you when you least expect it. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> All right, what's going on in your uh, in your collection? Well, I I was going through today and cleaning and uh, doing some weigh-ins and stuff, and um, 
I'm psyched that one of the dinkers I got from you just hit 1,500 grams. So that's breeding weight, right? Yeah. I'm still going to wait. I'm going to try and get her to, you know, I'll wait till she hits like 1,600 grams, and then I'll start pairing her up. But, but yeah, I, I mean, she's, she's just gorgeous. It's the one you liked, the one that's kind of like yeah. looks sort of like a Woma. Yeah, that one. Yeah. Awesome. What do you think uh, you're going to breed her to? I'm thinking I'm going to put a put the bumblebee to her because I mm-hmm. I, I think it would look pretty wicked if I could get the you know the spider gene into that you know it's already a really reduced pattern. I think mm-hmm. it would be pr- pretty cool to see what comes out of that, and I'll probably hold everything back. <laughs> oh, of course, uh, I think eventually if it is uh, genetic, you should uh, definitely make some albino versions too. I think it would give a oh, nice yeah. contrast. Oh yeah. Um, hey, hey Andy, uh, I I found uh, I have a pretty keen eye with uh, with these dinkers, and I I found two really interesting looking ball pythons, and uh, uh, Steve Steve wound up with them. I uh, I want I didn't really you know have an interest in breeding them, so I wanted them to go to to a friend of mine. So I made sure that Steve got them, and um, they're really interesting. And this one that Steve has is it's literally well you you can describe it. It's, uh, what does it look like these days? It's still the same? To, to me, it's it's similar to a, a woma, a woma ball python, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, it's got like a lot of highlighting markers around the pattern, and it's it it's definitely different looking. Then hmm. the other yeah. one that I got from you reminds me of a leopard. It's really dark, almost black, and it just has like like. I don't know, like uh, totally all broken up pattern to it. Mm-hmm. But she's cool. she's sitting at like I think it was eleven hundred grams. I weighed her today, so she's sitting at eleven hundred grams. So next year she'll be good to go. Yeah. Un- unfortunately, she went off feed recently. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. But that's the time all of right. year. <laughs> yeah. No, I know that's what they do. That's why I'm not so into ball pythons because I don't eat. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my my pied, she is so picky on eating, and I actually been tricking her because she she likes mice, and I've been tricking her by thawing one rat with a whole bunch of mice because of the mice I usually feed all the all the babies. You know, I feed mice, large mice, and so I've been thawing a rat with the mice, and I've I've been getting her to eat. You know, good sized meals instead of little little mice. So I, I'm psyched about that. Yeah, that's cool. Huh? Interesting. Do you have any uh, snakes left for sale, or? Uh, only I think I only have like four left, which is huh. great. <laughs> yeah, it's a buyer's market for ball pythons today. Yeah, I'm thinking about right. keeping what I have. <laughs> Actually, I keep looking at them every day, and I'm like, uh, I might keep her. <laughs> I would, I would hold off on selling everything because you know I think the market's going to level out. You know. Oh, the way I way I've I've been noticing is so many people are selling off their collections. I think it will turn around again. You know, if if yeah. people keep doing that, then there's going to be you know less people out there breeding. But on the other hand, it could be they're selling their collection to somebody else who's going to breed too. So, mm-hmm. but I think it will level out too. 
Yeah, probably. There's a lot yeah, of we'll nickel probably. and dime. I say there's a lot of nickel and dime horse trading going on right now, where people are just shuffling animals and moving things around, and you know it's unfortunate. But I saw this happen with the vintage motorcycle market. Is you've got so many people interested in making a fast buck that you know they're pat, you know they're single gene pastels and lessers and Wolmas and Mojaves are just you know they're looking at it from a dollars and cents standpoint and not from the standpoint of these animals being pets or being part of the hobby and they're just treating everything like inventory because the market's soft people would dump an inventory yeah 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 we're going to get into all that tonight yeah all right steve thank you very much for the great stories and um please give out your information for people to find you out there you can check me out on uh, Facebook and YouTube under BC Barker Creations. Awesome. All right, and we'll see you next week. All right, thank you. Thanks again, Steve. Take care. All right, Andy. I've been looking forward to this episode all week, and um, like I said in the beginning of the show, I really enjoyed what we were talking about a few days ago, so let's get right into it. Um, From your perspective, how does the reptile industry, community, whatever you want to call it, and we can discuss whether we should call it an industry or a community later if you want, um, how do you feel we look to the outside world and to uh, especially uh, organizations that are coming after us right now? Oh, we are a fairly easy target. I mean, I would love to put all the blame on uh, things like Animal Planet and Nat Geo, but unfortunately we just have uh, too much to feed them in terms of negative influence in the, you know, in the reptile, in the reptile field. And, you know, we've had a target on our back for the longest time. And because, you know, organizations like, you know, USARC and PJAC are underfunded and don't have the resources to, to fight this at the same level as a lot of other organizations, then, you know, we, we just come out with black eyes every other week. I mean, every time you turn on Animal Planet or Nat Geo, there is a story that makes reptiles look dangerous where the people who are working with them look like idiots, you know, with very rare exception. Yeah. I know. And I will say that with, with a, a cautionary word, that there are a lot of people who've been on Animal Planet, people that I really respect and have great fondness for, and, uh, people like Jim Harrison and Kristen Wiley, um, Sean Heflick, who are really the people who should be setting, I mean, we should be taking their example in the industry for what they do and who they are and how they represent themselves. But the problem is when you get involved with these TV shows, everything's about sensationalism and drama. And, you know, it's all about ratings, and ratings are about money. And that's unfortunately what it's come down to. Do you remember the days when we had, you know, those nature documentaries on Channel 13 and, um, I grew up watching those. I'm sure you remember them, hosted by David Attenborough and whatnot. Oh, absolutely. 
Dan, oh, I know this is gonna this is gonna start some controversy, but you know, back in the day in the early seventies, Mutual Omaha's Wild Kingdom. I mean, now I know, you know, that most of that stuff was staged and, you know, a lot of it was at you know, not exactly to the betterment of the animals, but it still did its best to maintain an educational purpose. I mean, you really thought that after watching that, you felt a little bit smarter, you learned a little bit something. You know, now if you watch you know, things on Animal Planet, you you know, uh, I, I don't even know what to say. You've got, you know, you've got some demented hillbilly running around tormenting small animals who, you know, who basically grew up hunting turtles for food. You know the the turtle man. The turtle man is a joke. There's urban Tarzan, which is so ridiculous. I mean, it, that is so badly staged. It makes professional wrestling look real. You know, I I miss you know I miss the days of Steve Irwin. Okay, I I mean I yeah. Some people like to watch their vintage TV shows like I Love Lucy and Mash and whatever. I mean, I find myself staying up late at night. You know scouring National Geographic to watch those specials where, you know, Jesus Rivas or Maria Munoz, who are basically the pioneers in anaconda research, were, you know, tramping around the Pantanal feeling for anacondas with their feet, <laughs> you know, doing real research with a real educational purpose, you know, and not some yep. idiot staging a cottonmouth in a community pool. I know. I, I got to tell you, I really seriously cringe today um when i see I, I don't watch television okay uh so anything that's on tv i get like in little bits and pieces either from youtube or people that post stuff on facebook but when i hear about what's on tv i cringe but when i i also see people in our own industry in our own hobby on youtube um and, and on facebook doing ridiculous things and and just really making us look terrible and oh it, it gets me so upset um, and and, I, and it's, it's the sensationalism uh, effect that they're going for. The way they title their videos, um, you know, like snake bites man in face or something, or, you know, monitor takes a chunk out of a guy's leg. But then when you watch the video, it's just, you know, it's just they're just showing off their monitor or whatever. And it's just, I don't know, Andy. The whole thing is ethics. This is our discussion tonight. So what do you think we're doing wrong? Or And I hope that we can you know, definitely highlight the negatives and some positives, too, tonight. So it's not a, a total doom and gloom type uh, situation. You know what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there is a lot of, there is a lot of positive, there are a lot of positive things happening in our industry. And, you know, it's a crisis like what's going on right now with the second inclusion of Lacey that, you know, brings out the best and the worst in people. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh You've got guys like like Mike Clarkson, who I have known through Facebook and earlier through MySpace. You know, from the time he was a, he was a kid. I mean, he's doing a great job of raising awareness and raising money and helping the battle with uh, you know, with US Arc. I mean, there are a lot of people out there who are you know who are raising who are raising money and trying to do the right thing. I mean, uh, Kevin McCurley, Brian Potter, and Ken Foos are all 
they've put together a group to try to figure out a way to raise awareness and you know do some grassroots organizing to get some money into the uh, into the fight to help protect. I mean, and you know, in the grand scheme of things, yes, we're trying to protect our industry, and this is a lot of people's livelihoods. But the bottom line, you know, for me is these are my pets. This is my lifestyle. Okay, other people, you know, other people buy you know, fancy cars or tricked out motorcycles and they go on vacation three times a year and they, you know, cruises and fly first class to Europe. And, you know, my thing is I collect exotics. I mean, I've got, I've got tegus, ball pythons, Morelia pythons, um, leopard geckos. I mean, I've got a handful of things and I do this because it's what I enjoy. Okay? I also do a tremendous amount of educational work with my stuff. I mean, at no charge to the community, I do I do meet and greets with the animals at everything from church groups to county fairs. Uh, I do work with the, uh, you know, coming up this year, I'm going to be doing a lot of stuff with the Shriners. And, uh, you know, hopefully I'm trying to get that planned out now. But, you know, this is the thing. There should be some sense of education and and wonderment. And these animals should be seen for what they are. I mean, are there certain aspects of our hobby where animals get big and get dangerous? Yes, but there are big, dangerous animals in every animal-based hobby. And, I mean, people get into the whole idea, all these arguments you see online all the time that horses kill hundreds of people a year and dogs bite 50 kids on the face, you know, every so many months or whatever they want to bring up. You know, but the bottom line is is we are functioning outside of the norm. We're not part of the mainstream. And a lot of the arguments that I hear are basically either preaching to the choir, reaching out to, to other reptile owners, to other reptile keepers, or you have a small faction who are you know, just literally publicly saying, the hell with the law, I'm going to do what I want, I don't care what they pass. And that, to me, that is extremely negative. I know. That's the wrong attitude to have. We were talking about that. You know, we see a lot of people online, and I and I believe me, don't get me wrong, I feel that sentiment where, you know, if it were coming down to it and people, and they were knocking on the door, going house to house, taking reptiles away from people, um, I, that's exactly how I would feel too, you know, from my cold, dead hands, you're taking my pets, but from, from a logistical and from an ethics standpoint, Andy, what's wrong with that? And what's wrong with putting that on the internet for everybody else to read that, you know what I mean? What do you think? Well, the problem with that is I do not know the exact numbers. So if somebody from the chat group can get on Google and figure this out just so that I don't get, uh, get uh, tagged for misquoting. I am, oh, to the, best of, to the best of my knowledge, the exotic pet section of the pet industry in general represents about 5% or less of the overall pet industry. I mean, would you say that's safe to say? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would think so, maybe. Yeah. You know, no, I, you I don't know. know, though. Yeah, yeah dogs, cats, goldfish, hamsters, gerbils, you know, horses, pigs, goats, whatever. Okay, yeah. let's, you know, I'll play devil's advocate to myself. We're 5% or 10% of the industry. Okay, mm-hmm. and the thing that's happening right now is within within our own community, within the reptile community, for the most part, we all get it. 
we understand the responsibility that comes with owning these animals. We understand their specialized care and the responsibility that comes with caring for an animal that's not a dog or a cat. Okay? And the issue that I see is we've got 90 to 95% of the rest of the pet owning world, okay, they watch Animal Planet, okay, and they see these as horrible terrible invasive animals that are ruining the ecosystem, you know, all over the world. Forget about just Florida. Okay? And they, you know, and they read, they read stories about, you know, children allegedly being attacked in their cribs, okay, by big snakes, or rock pythons getting out of pet shops and crawling through ductwork. Okay? And in my mind, Okay, the circumstances behind those two incidents were very, very speculative and very shady, and there hasn't been a lot of public disclosure of the outcome of those investigations, but that's what the public sees when they think about reptiles, when they think about owning snakes. I wish I had a dollar for every time I brought a ball python or a children's python, okay, or a ring python, to a public event, and when I told people this is a python, okay, some well-meaning parent would always chime in and say, yes, well, that's small and it's cute now, but that's going to be 30 feet long and capable of eating an adult by the time it's three years old. <laughs> and it's just, it's that ridiculous perception. You know? Yep. I own I went to Jack Russell. She's 15 pounds, and that would be like me bringing her out to the dog park and having somebody point to her and say, "See that? Okay, that's gonna, you know, that's gonna grow to be 150 pounds and eat small children." Yeah, it, it's you know, yeah, and you know what, Andy? The, back in the day, our mission was just to uh, educate people from, you know, and and let them know that you know those things aren't true. But nowadays, not only do we have to educate people about that, we also have to combat the false information that they're seeing on all these ridiculous TV shows. And it's, it's crazy. And it makes, our, it makes our mission that much harder, I would think. Don't you think? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the point to, the point to all of this is what, I, you know, what I was getting into is if we're going to gain any foothold, okay, for our right to keep these animals as pets, or if you happen to work in the industry, your ability to earn a living by breeding and selling and displaying these animals, okay, we're going to have to work harder to fit in to the animal community at large. You know, the reason I brought up the percentage with exotic owners is, you know, with things like everything from fundraising to USR to getting petitions signed to help us keep our animals, okay? We're looking at a very small percentage of the pet-owning population. And I think that it's important that we craft our image to show that, you know, we are just as involved and attached and emotional and dedicated to our pets as the people who own cats and dogs and, you know, horses and fish and every every other thing. What do you think our current image is? I know what it is, but what do you think it is? I think we agree on this. Uh, oh, outward. I mean, I think, I don't know <laughs> what to think our image is. I mean, that we're basically, uh, we're basically societal outcasts who, you know, 
live in our mother's basement, never calico posters on the wall over our bed. You know, we, we're 30-some-odd years old. We live at home. We don't have jobs. And, you know, we keep snakes because we're weird and we like them. Okay, now let me just say something. I love Metallica. And for everybody out there that's fell on or that's has fallen on hard times and has to have moved back home, it's it's a very you know understandable thing today. But what we're getting at here is that's how the outside world sees us. And and I think Andy, the reason why that's the majority of the view, okay, of us is because those types of people that are involved in the community are literally like. The way they the way they act online, the way they act in forums, it's that mentality, it's the misfit mentality that is most visible. Because the smart people, the people that are truly in this for the right reason, are reserved in how they speak online. They're careful about what they say online. It's this, it's the people that just don't care, or I don't know what the mentality is. I don't I don't know how to politically correct it, like how to say it politically correct or not. But the wrong people are making us look bad out there, big time. Wouldn't you say? Oh, absolutely. First, let me, I mean, we live, okay, not not my generation, not even your generation, but we live in a generation of, of supreme entitlement, okay? Kids today get participation medals for showing up and literally being lousy at sports, okay? So... I think a big part of what's happening now is the younger kids coming up through the ranks have, there's nothing, there's, the animals are easy to obtain. They're healthy. It doesn't, and, and I mean, I know that I'm going to get blasted for this, but it doesn't really take the level of skill that it took 30 years ago to get an animal to live in your collection for a year. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when you and I, when you and I started, and, I mean, people are going to tell me that, oh, I was just lousy at husbandry 40 years ago. But if you've got three wild-caught animals and you've got two of them to live, it, it, 40 years ago, you were God. <laughs> you know? All right. And that's just how it worked. And, you know, now it's, you know, it's just people will you know, just, they have such easy access to these animals. It, you know, you really don't have to earn <laughs> an exotic animal anymore. You can, you know, if you have the money, if you have the money, you can buy a five-gene ball python, okay? You can buy you can buy a high-end leopard deck. You can pretty much buy whatever you want as long as you have the money. Didn't used mm-hmm. to be that way, okay? Yeah. So what I think is happening now is you have these, you have these kids that, make, you know, the whole entitlement argument goes so that I don't have to prove to society that I'm responsible. I don't have to prove that these animals make good pets. I don't have to prove that I'm not, God, I'm looking for a better word than weirdo. But, you know, these kids have, well, I don't have to prove that I'm not a weirdo because I have, because I have these animals. Okay. Well, I always yeah. uh, well, just to jump in for a quick second here, Andy, and, and I just want to jump in here. You know, the the way I always saw it was also, you know, there's there's two different types of exotic animal owners or reptile owners. If we want to be more specific, there's the the people that truly, and you and you said this yourself, the people that truly find these animals fascinating, want to learn more about them, want to experience what it is to care for them and do it well. And then there's the people that see this as um, like a sensational type thing where they it's their, their, they get these animals for their shock value, so to speak. Am I right? 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, and there are people who, and uh, there are, there are people who are in it, like I said, and they just they're just doing it for the for the effect. I mean, I have got a. <clears throat> Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. What were you going to say? No, I was going to say um, I actually lost my train of thought, so go ahead. <laughs> oh. Well, no. I'll give you, give you an example. I do, I do a lot of work with kids. I do a lot of public lectures. And mm-hmm. I've, got, I've got a Burmese python. It's probably, I don't know, she's maybe 12, 13 feet long, probably weighs, she's probably about 50, 55 pounds now. She's starting to girth out. And when I... When I bring her, when I bring her out to show her to people, okay, I definitely impress upon the fact that this is a very large, dangerous animal, and that I have been handling animals of this type and of this size literally since I was 10 years old, okay. But once there is, you know, the cautionary uh, sort of uh, preliminary conversation, then we get up close to the animal and basically show them, you know, how gentle and inquisitive it is. I do, uh, I do a lot with disabled kids. And one of the things that's great about Flower, my Burmese python, is she is just such a, a mild-tempered animal that we do a lot with kids that have limited motor skills, uh, muscular dystrophy, cerebral palsy, uh, multiple sclerosis. And now, I'll tell you this in the form of a story. I was doing some volunteer work at a local zoo, and they brought through a group of disabled kids, and there were two girls in wheelchairs who had extremely diminished motor skills, and they were very, very upset because they had just come through from the petting zoo, and they couldn't pet the rabbits and the baby goats because they just didn't have the control to be gentle enough. And one of the girls was actually crying. And it came down to it, and I said, you want to pet an animal? I've got an animal you can pet. Don't worry about it. And I pulled out Flower, and I literally draped her across the laps of these two girls in wheelchairs, and they were, you know, petting her. And by petting, they were thumping on her pretty good. And she was, meaning Flower, was just, you know, hanging out, put her head on one girl's girl's chest, and just, you know, literally, you know, her breathing settled down, and I could tell she was going to sleep. And these kids had the greatest time with that. Okay, and that to me, you know, that makes all the volunteer work I do, that makes all the, the feedings and cleaning up what a 12-foot burn leaves in its cage once a week. I mean, that makes it all worthwhile. Okay, I mean, I also do work, we do special presentations for uh children who are visually impaired. I mean, something as simple as, you know, the difference between a corn snake and a rat snake and the very subtle difference in the healing of the scales that a sighted child won't be able to pick up. But when I do group presentations and there's a child who's blind or severely visually impaired and I can hold up two snakes that are identical colors and the sighted kids can't tell me which is the corn snake, which is the rat snake, but a quick touch from the kid who can't see them just by feeling the scale texture can tell me what the difference is. That's what gets me excited, okay? I mean, not that I'm going to breed some 18-gene snake that's going to make me a million dollars because, you know, we can talk about that later, but those days are long gone. But, 
Well, that's what I, let me just jump in real quick, Andy. Um, we're coming up at the halfway point here, and that's definitely some one of the things I want to talk about. Um, it, it, you know, with the with the sale of uh, ball pythons and other things, um, and how you know I do have some questions about your views on um, basically what some of the animals have become today and and how they're viewed. But um, let's do a quick sponsor break, and we'll be back, and we'll get right into that and other things. All right, everybody, hang tight for the second half. And um, if you guys want to call in and give your views on what we're discussing tonight, uh, please feel free to do so. If you want to uh, let us know um, either on Facebook or in um, the chat right here, uh, that's cool too because there's a lot of people in the call queue and I don't know which ones are listening or which ones want to call in. Um, the number to call in is 646-478-5331. Again, it's 646-478-5331. We'll be right back, everyone. Gecko Nation Radio is a David's Fine Gecko's creation and production. You can visit the show's Facebook page at Gecko Nation Radio. I also have a great family-friendly group on Facebook called Gecko Nation. Apply for membership today. Gecko Nation Radio is sponsored by Razor Sharp Reptiles. Like the name suggests, Jamie Carnes has some sharp gecko and snake projects in the works. He is very well known for his work with rare species, such as cave geckos, but also has some of the prettiest radar projects I've ever seen. Razor Sharp Reptiles is also known for high-end fat tails and beautiful rainwater leopard gecko morph projects. Check out RazorSharpReptiles.com online and on Facebook. ABDragons.com is your source for the highest quality doobie roaches. Whether you're starting a colony of your own or just need feeders for your insect-eating herps, abdragons.com can't be beat in quality or price. They are also a huge distributor of FlexWatt reptile heat tape and have very competitive pricing. Check out abdragons.com online and on Facebook. Gecko Boa Reptiles is your source for the highest quality leopard gecko morphs and wild types. From white and yellows to radars, amazing tremper morphs, and rare subspecies. John is a world-class breeder and extremely knowledgeable. If you're looking for something truly special in geckos, contact John Scarborough at geckoboa.com and on Facebook. And if you're looking for quality food for your dubia roaches, crickets, mealworms, and superworms, look no further than MS2 Premium Insect Chow. Made with reptiles in mind, it contains no dog food, cat food, or chicken mash. Using only vegetable proteins and high-quality ingredients, MS2 Premium Insect Chow will have your feeders making a beeline for it. Contact ms2ent.weebly.com or it can also be purchased at Rainbow Mealworms and AB Dragons. Dale's Bearded Dragons is your one-stop source for any reptile supply products that you may need from Exoterra, Zoomed, Rapashi, Repcal, Fluker, and much, much more, and all at 20 to 50% cheaper than your local pet store or big chain pet store. They are also the biggest reptile supply distributor at most of the Northeast Expos. Contact them directly online at dalesbeardeddragons.com or message me on Facebook and I'll put you in touch with the owner. Okay, everybody, we are back. Um, tonight's topic, of course, is ethics in herpetoculture, and we're here with Andy Salastino. Um, Andy, I'm going to give you a phrase here, and let's spin off of this. Cooperation is more important 
in competition. How do you feel about that? Oh, absolutely. And I'm going to take that one step, one step further. Cooperation is more important at this point in time than a lot of the he said, she said, uh, name calling, and uh, I'm looking for a better word, but I can't find one. It's got to get better than, than the stupidity that's happening right now. I mean, they're watching us, aren't they? Oh, absolutely. There's something that happened a while uh, a while back, and I got, I'll tell you right right now. And this is why it's very important that when we speak, we keep, you know I use I use the term soccer mom friendly. Okay, mm-hmm. I mean I like that. Yeah, basically, you have to look at how we present ourselves the way the people who hate us we say and how we say it. During the first, during the first Lacey ordeal, for lack of a better term, um, you know, Kevin McCurley, who I have a great deal of respect for, went on, on YouTube and, you know, with Andy Dietz, and he very sarcastically said, hey, you know what, if you're if you want to look at invasives, why not target ball pythons? Okay, they're smaller. You know, they you know there are a lot of small animals like Mediterranean geckos, ball pythons that can slide right under the radar. Okay, and when I heard that, I understood that he was being sarcastic, and that message was going out to other reptile keepers who would understand how ridiculous a statement that would be. I happened to be in Washington D.C. about a month after that YouTube broadcast. And I was at the National Aquarium in Washington, D.C., and there was a brand-new display that had just been completed by Animal Planet, actually Discovery Channel, which owns Animal Planet, a week earlier, that showed a display of ball pythons basically living in trash, referring to them as an invasive that was destroying the Everglades. Oh, my God. Wow. During the during the litigation that went on in Virginia, I believe it was about last, okay, the HSUS actually had some very attractive young ladies who were approaching the pet stores, okay, usually the younger employees, to explain to them how the HSUS was really on their side and that they really wanted to help them. And, you know, so... Why don't you share your concerns with me so that we can address them and hopefully get past this together? Okay. Luckily, the people who were approached, you know, knew me and respected me enough to get my opinion on this and, you know, didn't talk to anyone. But, you know, this is the, this is the thing that, that people don't understand. Okay. Our main enemy in this fight to have our our industry, our hobby, and our pets taken away isn't necessarily the U.S. government. It's it's the Humane Society of the United States, uh, and you know to some extent it is it is the government. It's senators in Florida who feel they have to make a point of proving that you know their constituents need to, to get this concern from the federal government. Okay, but the bottom line is is how we are perceived by other people is just hugely important to our cause. And and that's why I will go on to implore people. I mean, watch what you say online. I mean, 
you, you would think that this would be common sense, but obviously it isn't. I mean, forget about reptiles for a minute. You, you, have, you have idiots, you have criminals posting videos on YouTube of them, you know, playing the knockout game. You know, where they literally self-incriminate, and then they wonder why they get arrested and how they get into trouble. Okay? When what you need to understand with public media, okay, with social media, is whether it's a, whether it's a private, whether it's a private chat room or a group on Facebook or your wall on Facebook that's completely private that no one you and your friends can see, okay, in my mind that's the same as, as painting it on a billboard, okay? Yep. I mean, this, this, may be showing my, this may be showing my age, but when, when, when people say incredibly stupid things, you know, online or in person, whatever, I'll look at them and go, you know, would you say that in front of your mother? <laughs> well, I mean, some of them probably would. That's, that's another, but that's a whole other issue um, in society, I think, today. Um, Angie, right. what I've noticed in, now I'm not in the ball python market or in the ball python community. I'm not in the, really the corn snake community. I have ball pythons. I have corn snakes. Don't get me wrong. Um, I love them. They're great when they eat for the ball python. But, um, you know, I'm mainly, I'm mainly a gecko guy, okay? And one of, the, one of the major things I notice about the gecko community, okay, and I think this can be said for the other ones, and you, can, you, you know them too, um, it seems to me that there are people out there and breeders that are focusing on their collections, focusing on, um, you know, bringing success to their, their projects and their business, and then there's people that are out there trying to tear those people down for whatever reason. There's, and there's two, like I said, there's two people. There's the people that are striving to make themselves better and enjoy this and do their best at what they do. And then there's people that continually attack them. And I, it, sometimes I, I wonder if, if these are uh, plants from other organizations trying to cause strife and use divide and conquer tactics. But then the part of me realizes it's not that, it's not that you know, orchestrated or it's not that um, conspiratorial that you know, there's just people that, I don't know, just have a lot of anger and hate and envy and they just direct it at people that, it's kind of like, you know, they hate the things they can't have and people they can't be. You know what I mean? Instead of using all their energy to focus on bettering themselves and bettering their own projects and bettering their own animals, and doing and doing the best they can at what they're good at, they're they're busy conspiring and trying to change public opinion about people they hate and like really putting a lot of energy into this, into attacking others. And and what how do you deal with that? And, and it's such a it's a it's a big problem. It is uh, it is one of the most frustrating things about about being. You know, in this hobby or in this or in this community, it is. You know, it's it's a lot like it's a lot like, and I and I kind of hate to use this comparison. But it's a lot like high school. Okay, oh where you know yep. where you remember you had your cliques, you had the jocks and the nerds and the cool kids and the popular kids and the rich kids. Well, now it's you know we have we have different. We have different cliques, and you know the cliques are you know like there. There's the bull python guys, and there are the 
you know, there were the rack guys and the corn snake guys and the and the, the leopard gecko guys, and it's almost yeah, it's almost like there's a lot of the mentality is that I'm not going to make myself better unless I unless I make you worse. You know, and that's not the you know that's not the philosophy that I was you know that I was raised with. I mean, I I came up to this in you know in a world where the community believed in in apprenticeships, and you taught people because you wanted them to carry on what you were doing. You didn't exclude them from information so that you could stay one leg up on them. And I mean, that all comes down to you know that all comes down to the money thing. You know, if you look at if you look at our our hobby, our industry, our our community as a whole, there are there are a handful of people who actively earn a living or try to earn a living doing this. If for the rest for the rest of the community, whether it's ball python guys, the leopard gecko guys, the bearded dragon guys, you know, we're all people who have who have our daytime jobs and, you know, our our lives and our families and our responsibilities. And, you know, we do this, you know, we're in the industry because we love it, you know. And you've got guys like, like myself and a handful of my friends, where I just I like having cool animals. So if I breed a couple of things, I'll trade with my buddies or I'll sell a couple of animals here and there. But I'm not in this to make a living. And I think that's the, you know, that's the thing that a lot of people have lost sight on. I mean, there are there are jokes all over. You know, Facebook and the Internet where, you know, people think, oh, I'm going to buy these two ball pythons and I'm going to make $10,000 my first clutch and I'm going to quit my, hmm. my day job in three years. And, right. I, and, I'm, and I'm sure you hear the same thing in, you know, in leopard geckos and everything else. The bottom line is that there is, you know, we have got to, you know, set aside our fighting and set aside, you know, and, and just stop, stop bickering and being stupid about all of this, I you know, keep looking for better words. It just comes down to, I mean, people who don't want to cooperate, they don't want to help. You know, you see it on Facebook all the time. There are a lot of people who will bash the noobs. And yeah, granted, I, I can I can be pretty rough on people if they're persistently stupid, but I will, you know, always reach out to help the new guys. I know, and that's always been my thing. Like, I, I, I'll be honest with you, Andy. I, I've been very like, my whole thing is just to enjoy this, okay? And I've really gone out of my way just to do positive things for the community, and you know, and and from my perspective, you know, it's, you know, there's other people doing great things too, and there there are people out there that are uh, committed. Like, you know, I don't make any money from this show, and I give up my Sundays and my Sunday nights, and I, I put a lot into this show. Steve and I both do. And I think Steve does even more work with his videos. And we don't get anything really for it. Um, the sponsors, sponsor money does help out. Um, but there's a lot of time and stuff that goes into this. Uh, I do it because I want to help the community, and I want to help everybody, and I want to, you know, just be a positive force in the in the community. That's just, just what I want to do. And there's people out there that hate my guts for it. And I don't, I can't figure out why, you know. <laughs> And it's, you know what I mean? And it's it's upsetting to me sometimes. And then I realize, you know, all right, well, if they're if they're hating me for something that I'm doing that's good, they gotta be crazy, right? They're, they can't be sane people. They wouldn't, or else they wouldn't hate me so much. You know what I mean? 
Like, I mean, these are people that I've never done anything wrong to, you know? And, I mean, I'm making the point in my life to try to live like a Zen existence these days. When I was a kid, I was troubled and got into a lot of problems, and I've been really trying to, over the last the 15 years, I've turned my life around. And, you know, it's like, I don't know. It's it's really strange. I, I, what is it? Is it is it that they're crazy? That, you know, I don't understand. What do you think? <laughs> well, here's the thing. First of all, let me give you let me give you a piece of advice that was given to me when I was a lot younger. Okay, you are mm-hmm. better off if people hate you for the right reasons than if they love you for the wrong ones. Okay, mm-hmm. if you are doing the right thing and you're doing the right thing for yourself and for the reptile community and for the rest of the world, then by all means, stick to your guns and let people hate you. Okay, it's just there's there's nothing there's nothing else to it. And I mean, and I understand and I appreciate the contribution that you you know that you make to the community that Steve makes to the community. I mean, like I said, people who you know know me from the reptile shows. I don't know whether they think I'm a reader or whatever. But I mean, my my day job is I me. Mean, I design jet engine test equipment, and uh, you know that's what I do for a living. Okay, reptiles isn't what I do for a living, but it's something I'm very passionate about. And, mm-hmm. you know, I spend a lot of my time doing that. And, I mean, that's one of the reasons I'm going to bring his name up again. But guys like guys like Mike Clarkson, I don't know if you guys know Mike, but uh, Mike works at uh, Gurney Productions. He's in he's in the film industry. He's responsible for the, um, for the uh, I believe it's Nat Geo did The Speed of Life, which is an amazing, you know, high-speed animal video documentary that was just, I mean, still to this day, one of, one of I think, the best things I've ever seen on TV. And mm-hmm. so Mike's not a reptile breeder. He doesn't promote reptile shows. He doesn't sell, you know, snake hooks or plastic hides out of his garage on the weekends. And yet, he has been, he has been instrumental in raising money for U.S. art, for the past two efforts that they've been you know, that they've been putting in, and this is something that you know, like I said, it's it's not like you know, it's not like he's the biggest ball python breeder in the country and he's protecting his livelihood. You know, he's just doing this because he really, you know, he really loves these animals and he loves being involved, and he's doing what he can to help out, yeah, mm-hmm. and, you know, it's the, you know, it's the same, it's the same thing, I've got, I've got people who've helped me out, I mean, when I was, and, I, and this might raise a few eyebrows, but, I mean, I used to be a retic guy, I mean, I had retics back in the early 80s, I mean, that's, I, some people love to tell me that I am so old, I actually had retics in Massachusetts when you didn't need a permit for them. And, you know, and when I started breeding ball pythons, I wound up where uh, I'd call Ralph Davis two, three, two, three times a week to ask him questions. You know, and here he's on the board of directors of USARC. He's one of the biggest guys in ball pythons. And he would take my silly, stupid questions. And, you know understandably, I go out of my way to look for his animals. I like the fact that he helped me get going. I mean, there's a, there's a kid that I that 
I've done a few things with, and this is where you talk about ethics. His name is Matt Lagoy, and he's either 13 or 14 years old, okay? And he approached me on Facebook. He wanted to trade me an animal he had for an animal I had. And yeah, everything looked good. We exchanged pictures, and I found out that he was a kid. So I insisted that I meet his parents and talk to his parents face-to-face. So they came down to Long Island, uh, not Long Island, they came to White Plains and, and met me. And the thing that really struck me as odd in talking to his parents, and I was very straightforward about the trade because the animal he was trading me was worth a little bit more than the animal he wanted. And what is an amazement said that he had already had three or four animals that he bought online or his shows, whatever, and I was the first vendor who asked to talk to them. And that just blew my mind. Interesting. Yeah. Ooh, the other thing, before I before I forget, I don't want them to feel bad, but in the um reptile and amphibian charity auctions, which is what I guess so far has raised somewhere around thirty thousand dollars to help the uh the cause for uh, U.S. art is that Mike has been uh, has been hand in hand with uh, Jordan Russell on this one, so I don't want Jordan to think that I forgot about him and I'm giving Mike all the credit. Okay, who you know Jordan Russell, who runs the California Breeders Union uh, and the Breeder Source website. You know, he's another guy. He's doing a lot of the code work, and you know, he and Mike to date have have put a big chunk of change into the checkbook that's going to write the check that pays for us to keep our hobby alive. You know, and that's, you know, and that, I think, is what's important right now. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of fighting where, you know, you've got the retic guys and the boa guys saying, oh, yeah, well, the bull python guys think, well, you know, they're not going to come after my animals, so I don't care. I mean, in my mind, they're coming after all of our animals. And, yep. And, and oddly enough, you know, we are not, you know, we as a community, and, and, and please, uh, if there's anyone who knows of any crosstalk with different animal groups, aside from the exotic, like, you know, the, the big cat people, I would love to hear about it. Because one of the things that I, I find absolutely mind-boggling is there is a there's an extremely well-organized group of pet owners in the United States that have successfully fought breed-specific legislation on national, state, and local level. Okay? Yep, we were talking and, about that. I definitely want to make sure we get to that tonight. So yeah, go right ahead. And those are the pit bull owners. Okay. Yep. And the thing that gets me is, I mean, I'm not on the board of directors of U.S. ARC. I don't own one of the top five breeding facilities in the United States. But I have been going out of my way to try to talk to pit bull groups. Because when you think about it, is if our animals can be included in the Lacey Act, that is a very divisive form of breed-specific legislation targeted at a group of animals. And the pit bull people that I have spoken to, once again, they're not high enough up to bring this to the level where they get involved with us in Washington. 
But when you think about it, if we lose, that's a very dangerous precedent for them. Now, for every person that owns that owns a ball python, okay, or let's let's narrow this down. For every person in herpetoculture that owns a retic, which is maybe one out of ten people that keep reptiles have a retic, and I'm being generous. You think about how small our numbers are. We are a very small voice. We have got to rally the aid of other people. We're not going to be able to do this on our own. And there is so much fighting about the retic guys can't do this without the help of the ball python guys and the corn snake guys are laughing at all of us. Unless we make ourselves family friendly, unless we can impress upon people that, you know, not that we have a right okay, to keep these animals because we got our participation medal in kickball, okay, but we have to be able to prove, we have to be able to show that we are, that we are responsible and that we care not only about our rights, but about the rights of everyone else who wants to own a pet in this country. And, I, I mean, don't you agree? Absolutely. I totally agree. Um, all right, we're going to take some calls. we got people on the line. Uh, see, Critters, uh, you said your uh, area code is 602. I see a 502. Is that it? Did you make make a mistake? I'm going to take, uh, let's see. There's a whole bunch of numbers in here. I'm going to take the numbers that, um, all right, well, see, Critters, you're not in the actual, you may be listening online, but you're not in the uh, call queue, so just hang up and call back in. Oh, 480? Okay, I'll take you. All right. 480, you're live on Gecko Nation Radio. Hey, Dave. Hey, how's it going, bud? So, um, just curious. Uh, like, sometimes I'll be, like, just going through my racks and feeding geckos, and sometimes I'll notice, like, my wheels, they have little air bubbles behind their arms. Do you know what that is? Oh, don't worry. Well, they they shouldn't be too big. That's actually fat deposits, and um, we, we talked a little bit on the air about that. Uh, with John, uh, with the day geckos, but um, uh, shoot me a PM and we'll and I'll give you more information about that. I'd kind of like to keep the questions tonight more to the to the topic on hand, if you don't mind. But um, if your gecko is very o- overweight, um, you definitely got to put it on a diet. But that is where they will store extra um, nutrients when you know they're kind of fat. I'm guessing what's the what's the grams on her? Uh, like. It's been a few of them, like, one of them was, like, my giant, and he, at the time, was 72, Yeah, okay, well, shoot me, shoot me some more information on, on Facebook, and I'll, I'll definitely yep. spend some time, and I'll help you out with that. All right, bud? Yep, thanks. All right, thanks. All right, everybody, uh, the number to call in is 646-478-5331. Um, try to keep the, the comments and questions tonight to what the what we're talking about, if you don't mind. I'll take the caller from the, uh, let's see, 401 area code. You're live on Gecko Nation Radio. Hi, how are you doing? Good, who's this? We're doing great. Uh, this is uh, actually Bruce from Rhode Island. Oh, hey, Bruce, how's it going? How's hey, it going, Bruce. Andy? How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. I don't know, well, actually, you tell, you tell me, do I sound... Do I sound uh, intelligent enough? Yes, you do, sir. Yes, you do. I, I, I <laughs> definitely uh, 
think you hit everything on the head. Uh, my, my question really, because um, I've never really talked about it with you at the show, is uh, Andy, um, and both of you actually, is, you know, when do you look at it like, you know, th- this is a hobby and, and I enjoy breeding reptiles, I would do it till the day I die, um, but, you know, th- there is an aspect of a business side to it as well, and, and you know, when do you feel that line is more crossed towards you're just trying to make the money or you're trying to support the hobby so that, you know, you, you can expand and go for those things that you couldn't get unless, you know, you had the money to buy them right off the bat? Great question. Yeah, that's totally what we want to talk about this half anyway. Um, you want to just go right into that, uh, Andy? Right. Well, see, there are, okay, there are three types of people. Do you want to hang on, Bruce, while he talks? Or do you want to, do you want to listen off the air? Do you want to hang on, Bruce? Or do you want to listen? Yeah, oh, yeah, off, no, uh, no, 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 hang on with you guys, that's fine. Okay, okay. okay cool. There are there are three types there are three types of people when it comes to exotics okay and and I, for better or worse I'm a ball python guy so I most of my opinions have leaned a little bit towards the ball python world okay and the way I look is there are three types of people there are people who want to be able to say they have something cool okay and they're just in it for they're just in it for I want to be able to show this off look at this you know, incredible $15,000 animal I have. And they'll pay, they'll pay the money, they'll do whatever just to have it. Okay? Then there are, then there are the guys who want to, that really cool animal. Okay? I've been working on panda pies now for years and I haven't hit on one. But I just think it's cool and I want one. So I'm doing my best to make it, okay? Could I save up money, work a few hours, you know, do whatever, and maybe put together the money to buy one? Maybe I can, maybe I can't. But that thought never came to my mind because I just think it's really cool to look in an incubator, you know, 60 days into a clutch and see little heads poking out and go, oh, my God, what is that going to be? And then there's the third type of guy who wants to have really cool stuff so he can sell it before the price drops. Okay? And I'm not faulting the people who do that, but, you know, that's that's unfortunately the nature of the beast. And, you know, you've got to keep everything in, you've got to keep everything in its proper perspective. And I think that guys, you know, like Bruce, like myself... I mean, I'm not doing this to, you know, to to make money. I have no delusions that I'm going to be, you know, become a millionaire in, you know, in five years from reading ball pythons. But, you know, I basically, I like stuff that I can't afford. (laughs) So I'm trying to breathe my way into it. Yeah, and I I, I agree with that. And, and, you know, as you know, I work with with Chris over at Sabrina's. And uh, one of the things that we, we always try to, if you come in and, and you say to me, what ball pythons are going to make me the most money? I don't take you seriously. I, you know, I'd rather not sell to you. Um, if you come in and you say, I love Mojave's. You know, I'd like to, to get into the Mojave's. Breathe for what you love because you, you don't want to open a drawer and, and see an animal that, you know, you go, oh, it, it looks cool, but I just need it for something. You, you want to look in there every time and say, wow, this is, this is what I love. And, and it, it makes it easier to clean them and, and take care of them and, you know, I do feel that there is that line between, you know, you, you need to be able to support the hobby. I and mean, when you start getting into 50, 100 ball pythons, you know, whether you're breeding your own or not, 
it, it is a financial burden. And to the guy who just loves doing it, he doesn't have the $500 a month for the electricity and, you know, everything else. So the breathing is part of a business for him to keep the hobby. Oh, okay. yeah. yeah. If I did if I did not have if I did not have my reptile collection, there would definitely be a Porsche Boxster in my driveway. No doubt about <laughs> it. But that's another thing. And Bruce reminded me of something, and honest to God, I swear this is not a setup, okay? Chris Coswell at Serena's Reptile in Rhode Island, he is maybe not ah, no, I'm gonna go out and say that he is probably the best the best example of a reptile specialty shop fitting into the community, okay? If you look at Chris's Facebook, he's, you know, yes, he's always announcing his sales and what special cool stuff he's got at the shop, but for every animal he posts on Facebook, he's got a posting about his Toys for Tots drive or the holiday food drive, okay? Chris gives back to the community, okay? So if, if you live in Rhode Island, if you've ever been by his shop or you see his postings, you know, yes, you know that he's the snake guy in Rhode Island, okay? But you also know that he is, you know, collecting toys for children and canned goods for, for people who aren't doing so well in this lousy economy. And for that, I applaud him. I wish that every reptile specialty shop out there made the same involvement in the community that Chris does because I think that's really important. These are the types of things that I'm, that I'm talking about, you know, when I talk about how we have to try to fit into the community at large, because our 5% of the pet-owning community, just, I'm not as optimistic as I could be about how our small group is going to affect Congress. Okay, if we rally, you know, if we rally 2% of the rest of the pet-owning community, that, that in numbers is more, is more people than who own reptiles right now. And yeah. You know that's that's important. I mean, we can't we we got to get rid of this us and them mentality. I agree. Um, all right, we got a lot of callers on the line. Uh, Bruce, do you have any other questions while we have you? Uh, uh, no, no, no. I just uh, I just wanted to get that out because you know I, I don't want everybody on the small end of things to feel like oh you know I do want to make money off it, but is that making me a bad you know, hobbyist, and I just wanted some clarification for people so they know, you know, that there is a business aspect, but don't do it expecting to make millions, you know, do, do it because you love it, you're going to enjoy it more, you get more out of it that way, and that's the only way I, I think you're truly going to become a, a good or great breeder is just loving to do it, and uh, I, can't I just want to say thank like you to Bruce. you guys having a, a show on here, this is my, my first time actually, I knew Andy would be on here, so I uh, popped in, but I will be listening every Sunday, and uh you know, it's great that there are people out there that are, are finally getting the word out to people and letting them know what's going on. Awesome. Oh. Thank you, Bruce. I appreciate it. Yeah, Thank you, guys. Have a great in. night. Yep. You too. Uh, yeah, Andy, why can't there be more people like Bruce out there? I, actually, you know what? I, I don't know. Would, would, that's a good question. How many people do you think have the mentality that Bruce has, and how many uh, people, what's the ratio, do you think, of the misfits to the, to the, uh, you know, to the people like Bruce? <laughs> Oh, I you know I honestly can't I honestly can't answer that because I go out of my way to surround myself with good people, okay. and I mean I'm I'm doing this like there are things where I'm I'm pretty knowledgeable about this and I'm pretty knowledgeable about uh, about ball pythons and corn snakes and I'm pretty good with rat snakes, but you know you look at things I give you another example I have you know I 
just started getting into into Morelia pythons, and you know I was basically I was online asking what were apparently some you know fairly stupid noob questions, and I had you know Brandon Young who's also out in Rhode Island he's a True Blood Morelia, he has basically bent over backwards to to help me out and you know work with me and my animals and to you know he literally helped me import a you know, a male for my Bradley from the UK. And, you know, this is something he didn't do it to he didn't do it to make money or he didn't do it to prove that he knew more about it than I did. He did it because he's a genuinely nice guy and just really wants to see more people breeding clean lines of Australian pythons. So that's why he did this. He did this to help. You know, that's why I think a lot of us do this. You know, there are some people who do it for, for bragging rights, and, you know, there's a good way and a, bra- a bad way to do it for bragging rights. There's the ability, I mean, to to say, yeah, I'm very proud that I that I was able to do this, and there are people who say, well, yeah, yeah, I did this and you didn't, so that makes me better than you. And that's the stuff, that's the stuff that I can't stand. Yeah, I agree. All right, we have another caller here. Uh, caller from the 330 area code. You're live on Get Donation Radio. Um, hi, guys. Hey, Brooke. How are you? I'm doing good. I bet you are. You're doing some really good work out there with those uh, with those logos and banners. Great work. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> What's your question tonight? Um, I'm not really sure if it's one that either of you can answer. But I'm kind of wondering if they do start, you know, putting these bands on reptiles, what what is going to happen to the reptiles? I mean, where, I mean once they take them away from people, what are, what are they going to do with them? Yeah, well, you know, um, Andrew was on a couple weeks ago, and he answered that pretty well. But I'll let Andy go ahead and uh, answer it as well. What do you think, Andy? Well, right now, right now, with the inclusion in the Lacey Act, it doesn't. It doesn't make them illegal to own. It doesn't make them illegal to breed or sell. It simply makes them. It makes it illegal to take them across state lines. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what that means is, that based on Lacey alone, uh, theoretically the industry would be able to survive. But because I'm in, I'll give you an example. I'm in Mass. I'm in Massachusetts. I live less than five miles away from the Connecticut border, okay? There's a vet in Connecticut that I would love to take my animals to, but I can't bring my berm to that, to that vet, to that reptile vet. You know, on the same, on the same token, you know, I'm working with a, you know, with a handful of people who live right on the state line, and it, it will be, you know, it'll basically put an end to to the reptile breeders who earn a living by shipping things all over the country. It'll also greatly diminish the hobby because right now there may be, you know, for example, you know, you know, Ron Tremper down in Bourne, Texas, okay, and yep. and with Pennsylvania. So if you're a leopard gecko guy or girl and you live in Texas, you live in Pennsylvania, then... Well, yeah, if they ban leopard geckos, for example, you probably pretty much get whatever you want, okay, from guys like, you know, Ron Tramper, uh, Dave, or 
you know, Matt Baronic. But, you know, let's say you live in Iowa and you wanted to start breeding leopard geckos. You would have to find somebody else in your state that had the animals you wanted. Okay? And, I mean, I mean that's unreasonable and unfair. I mean, Steve put a question in the um, in the chat room. He goes, you know, what about the ball python guys who say, oh, well, hell with this, they'll never come after my animals. Okay? Right. You guys go into the timeline photos on my Facebook Okay, and over a year ago, okay, the Discovery Channel attacked ball pythons through the national zoo system. Okay, I mean, do you have any idea, okay, the ramifications of how and where they made their attack on ball pythons? I mean, that... That's just it's and you know what's going to happen is that shortly after the first Act, you look at Ohio is you know, Ohio is still uh, I forget, did that go did that go through David where they've managed to ban all exotics based on the big um, cat of Bainesville? I believe that there was some crazy uh thing that did get passed in Ohio. I don't I think it had to do with venomous. I don't know the details of it though, but um I I think I know a few guys that do know and um, you know, I'll find out. But if anybody knows the specifics uh, on what happened in Ohio recently, please uh, chime in or call in. And if you're going to call in, uh, just give me a heads up in the chat room real quick. Yeah. I mean, 10 years ago, Rhode Island was one of the most liberal states in the country to get snakes. Basically, anything anything that wasn't front fang, venomous, or green anaconda, you could own in Rhode Island. And now, because of irresponsible people and just plain old abject stupidity, Rhode Island is getting more and more restricted. Uh, Virginia tried to pass a big reptile ban about a year ago. And what's happening now is more and more and more. Uh, I mean, the local local and state governments are trying to chip away at our ability to own these animals. And I think that, you know, whether you believe they'll ever come after, you know, leopard geckos or ball pythons, I mean, that's that's not the point. The fact that they're coming after any of our animals is something that we should rally together and and fight. And in in Massachusetts, for example, I was just at the uh, at the hearing where Massachusetts, as of January first, I believe now, is going to remove the restriction from owning chameleons, green tree pythons, and emerald tree boas. Okay, and uh, and spiny tail monitors. But only those, but only those species. Now that that change of the of the exotics law was also tied to was also tied to ostrich farms. Because mm -hmm. they're going to be so they're placing they're removing some of the restrictions on reptiles, but they're placing more restrictions on ostriches. So that was that was an interesting meeting uh, to go to the state hearing for that, but. I mean, these are issues. These are issues we have to look at, and it's a matter of you know, it's a matter of public opinion. Um, recently, about a year ago, Randy Randy Laporte was called before a zoning board in his town in his town in Connecticut. Now, Randy's collection is impeccable, and they were, you know, so Kurt Schatzel, who is the president of the New England Herpetological Society, myself. Uh, 
Deb from Jungle Jewels and a handful of other people, I am so sorry, I can't remember everybody's name, you know, went down to the hearing to show support. And a lot of us, you know, a lot of us testified on Randy's behalf. And, you know, literally when when the people on the zoning board heard that he bred all pythons, they heard python and in their mind they saw a 15-foot animal that was going to eat their cars. Okay. And yep. it was... And it was through educating. It was through educating people, and you know, basically, yeah, helping them to understand what these animals are really all about. That we were able to help Randy get his variants to continue to keep his animals. Now, in in my mind, I think that's that's just the fact that we won collectively is a great thing. The fact that we had to fight is a really frightening concept. You know, you think about it. If you wanted to keep tropical fish, if you wanted to have a koi pond, okay, you don't need anyone's permission to do that. If you wanted to, you know, if you wanted to breed dogs or cats or whatever, it's, you don't, yeah, it, it doesn't get looked at the same as if you tell people, I'm going to breed snakes, I'm going to breed lizards. Yeah, and it's that, crazy. Yeah, they, they like, yeah, they, they totally have a to- whole different attitude. Their eyes glaze over as soon as you mention it. It's an instant, like, reaction, um, almost negative, like when you tell certain people about it. Right. And one of the things that I go about doing when I give my talks, especially when I speak to, you know, state and local officials, is I point out the the benefits of these animals. You know, for for example, there is now I personally don't keep I don't keep venomous. I do know people who keep venomous and there's a part of that that people don't necessarily understand. And that's that there are tremendous amount of medical research going on right now involving snake venom, scorpion venom, spider venom. And, you know, there are, there is research that's very close to uh, cure cancer. There are snake venoms used uh, now that they're experimenting with the chemistry for uh, long-term chronic pain relief. I mean, I don't know how many people know this, but I had a, I had what was thankfully a mild heart attack about a year ago. Okay, and the one of the blood thinners that I'm on right now to keep me from having another heart attack is literally a chemical analog to Crotalus cerastes venom. Okay, and without having without having people who work in this venom research, then we are going to lose something in terms of of the advances we can make in medicine. And our people ask, well, how does how do ball pythons Okay, and corn snakes and leopard geckos and retics come into play with this. Okay, you look at people who work in these fields right now. You've got Carl Bart who runs Medtoxin down in Florida, one of the largest venom labs in the country. You've got Kristen Wiley and Jim Harrison, okay, down at Kentucky Reptile Zoo, who also do a tremendous uh, work in venom, in venom collection. Okay, you've got Brian Fry, who's Australian, but was raised in California, who is the leading venom researcher pretty much in the world. 
Okay? And these people are all adults and they work in the industry right now. And the thing you've got to ask yourself is when these people were eight or nine or ten years old, if they couldn't if they couldn't legally own a corn snake or a ball python or a leopard gecko or a bearded dragon, where the hell would we be in terms of this medical research today? Okay? How many right. these people be in this field if they weren't allowed to be exposed to these amazing animals as children? Okay? That's the thing that frightens me the most, is that people don't understand how important this is. Okay? And it's not because I want to keep these as pets. It's not because somebody's going to earn a living by selling them. It's because when you start to restrict knowledge, okay, this is like the animal analog of Fahrenheit 451, which again shows how old I am because most people don't probably remember that book. I had to read it in high school or college. Okay, but that was when they burned all the books and decided that you could know what you were supposed to know. Okay, I'm not going you know, I'm going to try very hard to not make the deliberate, um, you know, analog in politics to the German leader who decided what you should know and what you shouldn't know and how that affected, you know, world politics for, what, 40 years? <laughs> yeah, really, I know. All right, we got a ton more callers, Andy. Let's have another one here. Um, All right, let's go let's for see. it. All right, caller from the, um, didn't I just do 401? Uh, let's see. Let me try. 401 is Rhode Island. I'm afraid those are probably going to be all my friends calling in. Well, that's okay. Let's grab it. 401, you're live on Gecko Nation Radio. Hello, guys. How are you doing tonight? Good. 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 Who is this? This is Chris from Sabrina's up in Rhode Island. Oh, hey, Chris. How's it going? How are you you guys doing? Good, good. Um, Calling in, loving the show, um, agreeing with... Pretty much everything that's coming out of what's going on tonight, love it. And also, we what I need to push, you know, and we all need to push, no matter what type of animal we like to keep for a pet, we need to support each other. If you like the pit bulls, if you like cats, if you like dogs, if you want a mountain lion, you want a leopard gecko, we need to all stick together and educate people on what we love so they don't try to put us down for what we love. Um, what do you think, What do you think, Chris? Um, how confident are you in us being able to do that and being able to keep what we have going here? We, everybody that walks into my shop, it's, it's only a small shop, but everybody that walks into my shop, we treat them like family. We educate mm-hmm. them on everything we possibly can so they understand everything. You know, we also tell people, you know, if you have a problem with an animal that's not reptile-related, if you need to ask us the question, if we know the answer, we're going to help you. If not, we're going to try to get the right answer or stay you in the right direction so you know what's going on or not going on. Okay. And we, I've, I've been to shows where people that own king snakes say, well, I'm not going to sign any petition for a, a python. I do king snakes. That's crazy. We need to stick together because as small groups of you have ball python people, all people, leopard gecko people, king snake people, corn snake people, if we all join together, we'll be able to beat this and fight this and yep, be able to do what we enjoy. Yep. You know, it's something we I... definitely need to do. Yeah. I hope we can do it. This, yep. this, I do own a shop. I do it for the love of it. 
And I also do it for the love of my stepdaughter that passed. She got me into the reptiles and never looked back. It's it, These animals are incredible animals. People hey, Chris, need to understand that a snake a... does have an attitude. It does have feelings. It knows its owner. D- doesn't like some people. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Oh, absolutely. I, I have snakes that I could open an enclosure, stick my face in, not get bit. Someone else opens an enclosure, they might get bit. <laughs> Just like a dog or a cat. Yeah, they know. They know. Yep. They have other senses that we don't that we don't have. You yep. know, they, they experience the world differently than we do. Oh, absolutely. Um, Chris brings up a very good point. People, people look at these, and they don't always understand that they are our pets. One of the things that amazes people when I do my public talks is I will bring everything from my berm to uh, Borrelia pythons, boas, king snakes, rat snakes, you name it. I'll, I have animals that I bring to, to my public demos. And people mm-hmm. are absolutely amazed how I can let someone hold, say, one of my carpets, and they'll be real fidgety, and as we're talking, the snake will move over and literally climb on top of me and literally just relax and go to sleep. And and that's what a lot of people don't get. They don't understand that these animals have personalities. They have feelings. They, you know, and I know that I'm going to get bashed for this, but I have snakes that like me. I And like Chris said, they love me, and they just don't like certain people. I've got a helper who gets bitten every time she opens a cage. <laughs> you, know, but, you know, but that's... I, I believe it. And, and that's the other thing. I just caught myself doing something we have to try not to do, okay, is in the grand scheme of things, okay, I understand a bite from a corn snake or a uh, king snake or even a ball python is not that big of a deal, okay, but we really need a group to stop posting these, you know, bite pictures and, you know, making sure that we let that we let a bite bleed for, you know, 10 minutes before we take a picture of it and put it on Facebook. Because, what, you know, when I do my demos with people and ask you, have you ever been bitten? And I'm very honest. I'll tell you, I've been bitten thousands of times. Okay? It really doesn't hurt. It really doesn't bleed a lot. And it's like anything else. If you work with, you know, if you work with dogs or cats, you're going to get bitten. You're going to get scratched. You work with horses, you're going to get kicked. You know, it's part of it. And for mm-hmm. someone who deals with one or two animals, you know, to get, you might not ever get bit. For somebody who works with 10 or 100 or 1,000 animals, you know, your likelihood of getting bitten is going to go up, especially if you're feeding them. Okay. Right. And, that's, and that's a big chunk of it. Hey, Chris, you know, um, yeah. how about we have you back one night for a full episode? Yeah, sounds good. Okay, you're gonna be at the yep. you're gonna be at the White Plains show coming up. Yes, I will. Okay, I'll stop by and see you. Yeah, sounds great. And thank you for All having right, me on. Um, absolutely, Chris. Take care. Thanks for calling in. Okay, thank you. Have a good night. All right. You too. Yep. All right, um, Andy. We're we're coming uh, to the two hour mark here. You know, I'd like I think we could go all night talking about this stuff, but um, it is it's it is uh, that we could. Yeah, well, but we can I always come back and do more episodes. But um, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, um, oh, oh, oh. you know, we're going to, you know, being that we're coming to the end of the show, um, I'd, I'd always like to give uh, the guests uh, this time to, you know, 
basically bring up any closing remarks that they feel are important and um you know to, just to um you know before we end the show anything that you know that you definitely wanted to touch on well I oh, wait def- uh, hold on one, wait hold Andrew, Andy, one second we have one more caller i'm going to take uh, Go for special it. caller angela angela from the 316 you're live on gecko nation radio hey guys hi how are you angela Hi, I'm doing great. Just got done cleaning geckos while I was listening. So, um, I actually have hopefully it's not too deep of a question for the end of the show. But um, a lot of times you hear the phrase "policing your own," and you know, especially with public opinion being what it is right now, and the number of people who think we're complete freaks for keeping these things. Um, mm-hmm. I kind of wondered, and either of you can answer this, or both of you, um, what obligation do you think we have? when we, you know, come across someone who's intentionally behaving with a serious lack of ethics, you know. Um, I've actually seen people, uh, how to put it without mentioning anything too detailed, but um, like selling a, a gecko that previously they'd been on public, you know, forums or, or social media talking about how it had dirty genetics and they're selling it without any indication that it has that problem as a breeder you know, things where they're caught in lies or whatever. What obligation do you think we have as members of the community to police that? I don't even know if we can. Well, but if any. That, yeah. that's, a good, that's a good question. Well, there are certain, you know, there are certain things, and this is we're getting into one of those ooh, gray areas that we may have to come back and talk about another night. But, yeah. you know, I know, and, you know, this is the, and this is the thing, it, it's a very... Slippery slope. There's a fine line that you've got to that you've got to draw. Uh, I have heard of you know. Oh, and like I said, I don't want to call anybody out on this, but I've had you know I have had people who will say, message me on Facebook or send me emails and text bo- or text messages and ask me you know what do you use to treat a respiratory effect? Uh, do you use to treat respiratory infections? If you know, if if amicacin, batrol, and gentamicin haven't touched it, won't touch it. And then, you know, I'll recommend them to a vet in their area that I know is good with reptiles, and a month later see the animal they were asking me about for sale on Kingsnake or Facebook or or Craigslist for that matter. And you know, you you kind of have to you kind of have to wonder about people like that. And, you know, there's a very fine line between, you know, picking up the phone and calling up your buddy and going, hey, you know, that's just supremely wrong, don't do it, and calling people out on on, on the board of inquiry. I mean, the things that, you know, the things that I'm looking at with ethics are, you know, it, I don't know, once again, maybe this is just me being 50, but I wasn't raised that way. Me neither. You know what I mean? If mm-hmm. if your animals if your animals are sick, don't sell them. I mean, I have been I have been thrown out of I have been thrown out of countless uh, forums or you know groups on Facebook for calling people out for cutting ball python eggs at 35 days so that they could so they could determine what morphs they have and literally take deposits on babies that haven't come out of the egg yet. Oh my God! And, that's crazy. And I mean, in my mind, that's unethical. Okay, I mean, and this is, 
uh, David told me not to name names in a negative way, but we all know of a certain tegu breeder down in Florida who took deposits for two years, that never really shipped out any tegus, and then just literally skipped town and tore down all of his enclosures. Well, all of his tegus were underground, you know, in hibernation. So now there are, you know, literally wild tegus running all over Florida because he released them. And, you know, that's that's another thing that's a black eye on our community. And, I mean, well, we didn't get into know, Another thing, though, Andy, is, like, what it, going back to what Angela was saying a little bit is, you know, there are people that operate with some with almost Im- immunity, it seems. You know, they, they've done shady deal after shady deal. They've screwed over so many people, and yet they just keep operating. And, you know, a little bit of time goes by, and people forget what they did, and it just – and it's just – it's it's really weird, and wh- and what do you do about it? I mean, you just got to tolerate this, it's, and it's frustrating. Uh, believe me, for people that really work hard to do things ethically in the right way, it is very frustrating. And um, and when you try to tell other people about you know you know be careful when you're dealing with so and so this and that, sometimes you're viewed as the hater or the whatever. So it, it puts you in like a really weird position. So, like, what exactly can you do? I mean, I don't know if we even have an answer. I'm just putting it out there. You know what I mean? Well, here, here's the other thing. This is what I what I tell people all the, all the time. If you follow the if you follow the BOI on Facebook or Fauna, there are always people who are like, oh, I ordered this animal online, and oh, I got shafted royally. And mm-hmm. the thing to think about it is is if you look at the scams that are going around, people who are like, you know, gee, I will sell you this python for a tenth of what it's worth. Or there's actually a scam on, on Craigslist where somebody was selling dragon snakes for $5,000. Okay? And there are people who are getting taken by this. And the whole thing is, is it's, you know, what I tell people is support your local pet shops, support your local breeders, support your local herpetological societies, okay? Mm-hmm. I mean, how does that go? If a deal seems to be good, too good to be true, it probably is. <laughs> right? You know, there's one guy on Facebook who is scamming people out of snakes and money, and he, the phone number he lists on his Facebook page, if you do a quick Google on it, the country code is somewhere in West Africa. Yeah. And yeah. people still still send him money. I mean, this is the thing. And this is and you know, and I'm gonna be a little cruel here. If your heart's in it for the right reasons and you love the animals and you respect the animals and you want to do the right thing, you'll do business with the right people. Okay? I try to send I try to always send my money in the direction where I think it's the best you know, going to do the best, um, you know, good, and do the most good. And, and I only deal with breeders that I know are ethical. And I believe me, I found the ethical breeders by getting screwed by all the unethical ones, believe me. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, I fell for all the cheap deals, all the too-good-to-be-true breeders, you know, that sold those geckos. I fell for all those scans. So that's why I only deal with the best people today. And uh, well, well, even that, yeah. and I'll tell you one one of the things that I see in the industry, we probably don't have too much time on this, is, and I will give this as my parting word of advice to people, when you're, when you're looking for an animal, whether it's a snake or a gecko or a monitor, whatever it is you're buying, look for quality and negotiate your price. Do not 
buy on price. I have, I have never, ever in my entire life heard anyone say, I really regret shopping around for this awesome animal. Okay? <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, if you're paying, you know, as a general rule, if you're paying less, you're getting less. Okay, yep, and it doesn't you pay for it. Exactly, and you know there are breeders, you know, like you know, like David, and there are you know plenty of others out there who you know stand behind their animals, and you know their genetics, and you know their you know their sanitary protocols, and you know their health records. Okay, and you know that's what's that's what's important when you buy an animal. You know the the ball python you save 50 bucks on and it shows up, you know, underweight with a respiratory infection, didn't really save you any money. Nope. Nope. That's true. I try to tell people that, you know, start out buying those, you know, $15 geckos at the big chain stores. I think we all have to learn from that experience. Every once in a while, one of them will live great and last you a long time. It'll be a great pet. Most of the time, there's always an issue with it. And, uh, you know, you either get hit with a big vet bill or he dies or this and that. And, uh, you know, I think I experienced that too. Uh, and so did um, Matt. Matt started out with his geckos, uh, with, a, with a, a big chain pet store gecko. And I think we, there's certain lessons we have to learn, and we learn by when it costs us money. <laughs> that's, that's the bottom line, I think. Um, you know, I don't know. But oh, yeah. there's something to be Absolutely. said for seeking out the good breeders and, you know, paying that extra money up front for that quality animal, you know, you're going to have that peace of mind and know that, you know, the likelihood of you having issues with it is going to be less. And here's the, and here's the other thing. When you're looking, when you're shopping, when you're shopping around for, for a breeder, mm-hmm. I mean, and, and this might sound silly, but I have been, I have been doing, you know, business, and I'm not talking about reptiles, but, you know, I mean, I work as an engineer, and I negotiate contracts with people, I negotiate with municipalities, and, you know, I I buy a lot of things that I build into machinery and I sell to customers, and one of the things that I think is missing in the reptile industry is, you know, what I, what I tell myself, when, I, when I'm, if I'm going to spend a chunk of change with somebody, if I'm going to spend a couple thousand dollars on a snake... And uh, I honestly think to myself, you know, the guy who I'm buying it from, is he, you know, is this the kind of guy who I, you know, want to grab a beer with after work? Is this somebody I enjoy talking to? Is this this a guy who I think really cares about this animal and is proud of his animal who, you know, is, you know, going to be happy that somebody who's just as proud of the animal, you know, is looking to buy it? You know, that's what I that's what I look for when I when I buy an animal. And if I when I sell an animal to somebody, what I look for. You know, the if you really wanna wanna put me off at a reptile show, yeah, come up to me and ask me what something's worth. Mm-hmm. What can I what can I get for this? What you know, and I think it was Bruce brought it up. And the guy's like, Well, you know, I've got you know, I've got X and Y and Z at home. What do you have that I can buy that will make me the most money if I breed it to those animals? Right. You know, that's that to me is just really off-putting. 
you know, if you ask me, you know, gee, I've got these animals, what do you think would be the coolest for me to breed it to? That's a question. That's a question I love. I mean, I've got, you know, I've got pairings of normals and pastels right now because they're, you know, I just, I love bumblebees. I think they're cool-looking animals. And that's another thing that we haven't talked about is, you know, you go to a reptile show and you see adult, adult pastels, adult male pastels being, you know, sold off for, you know, as little as 40, 50 bucks a piece. And, you know, I probably have, you know, I definitely have more pastels than I need for, for my breeding projects and, and for, you know, my interest in the hobby. But you know what? Some of these animals are, you know, 14, 15 years old. These are my pets. I've had them. They're not, you know, they're not a commodity. It's not chainsaw that I've, you know, worn out. Now I'm going to buy a new one because something better came along. You know, I treat all of my animals with the sense that, you know, I have an obligation to their health and well-being. And, you know, I will, you know, I will move along some of my older retired breeders, but only if I really feel that the person who's getting them is going to love them and appreciate them as much as I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the grand yeah, scheme you know, of things. That's rare today, though. I mean, well, I don't think it's rare, but, you know, I think it's important that more and more people um, take that approach to things and, and not look at it as so, so much as, like, a, a business opportunity because there's just too many people jumping into this thinking it's a, a business opportunity. And when you have that attitude, you very, very few of those types of people really make any real money in this because, you know, they soon realize, you know, there's, competitive, there's competition, there's other breeders doing the same thing you're doing, there's price, price fluctuations just like any other thing. And, you know, when there's animals involved, it just, I don't know, I'll tell you the truth, it just doesn't feel right, you know, um, sometimes the way things work out there. I mean, I like to breed my animals, and, I, um, you know, of course, I sell geckos. I, I try to sell, well, all my geckos are from the best possible lines. I will only sell the best animals, and I'll only uh, have the best in my collection. That's just my philosophy. Um, I try to encourage others to think that way, too. Um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fine line. Of course, when you have a large collection, in order to keep it going, you have to, you know, you have to breed and sell your animals. It's part of it. I, I think it can be done ethically, though. And I think there's, you know, maybe maybe there needs to be some type of um, code of ethics that has to be uh, written up. And, you know, like if, if people don't, I mean, I was talking to someone else about this. If people don't follow the rules, if they, you know, if they're in this in this group and they're they're behaving poorly online, they should not. They should be held accountable. Right now, there's no accountability for any of this. And people are just. Oh, they're conducting themselves terribly out there and making us look so bad and we're being watched so closely. Absolutely. I'm really worried about that. But I wanna leave, I wanna end this show on a positive thing, Andy. So let's let's um let's 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 mention something positive. Angela, are you still with us? I'm still there. Yeah, okay. Do you wanna listen off the air? Do you want me or do you wanna hang on? I don't care. She's been with us okay. this long. All right, you're what? you're hanging on then. All right. Okay. Well, yeah, let's let's end this with a positive, Andy. What do you think is going to happen for the future? On a good note, what what do you what good things do you see coming down the road for us? And on a good note, I really think that you know we're bringing together we're bringing together a lot of really good people to you know 
basically to help us meet this crisis with the, with the next level of inclusions in the Lacey Act. Okay, you've got, I cannot, I cannot say enough about the good that people like Mike and Jordan are doing with the, uh, with the auctions for, for U.S. ARC. I mean, they're just doing a phenomenal job. I mean, Brian, Brian Barczyk has, you know, pledged 10% of all of his sales in the month of January to go to U.S. ARC. You know, and I mean, in my mind, you want to you step up and do the right thing? You're buying, you know, if you want to buy an animal next month, Look for somebody who's going to give a piece of it to U.S. Ark. A couple of smaller, a couple of smaller breeders have followed suit in matching in matching Brian's pledge. And you know, the other thing that that I really want to point out is you've got a lot of small-time breeders. You know, obviously, 10% of what Brian does in the month of January is going to be a hell of a lot more than what most of us can do in a month of January. But you know what? When you've got a 15- or 16-year-old kid who's got two or three clutches of ball pythons that he hatched out, and he's saying, you know what? I love doing this, and I want to be able to do it when I'm an old codger like Andy. So I'm going to, give, I'm going to donate a snake to the auction. Or, you know what? I'm going to give 10% of whatever I sell. Even though that might be 100 bucks. I'm going to send 10% of that out to USR. That makes that makes an impression on me. That makes an impression on people. When you've got everybody from the industry leaders, like I think you know, Kevin uh, agreed to put up at least a thousand dollars, you know, in his group. I'm working on something special that hopefully I'll be able to announce on a later radio show. But I don't want to show my hand until I've got it locked down. You know, mm-hmm. there are a lot of there are a lot of people rallying together, doing a lot of really good things right now. Okay, with you know, Kevin. Brian and Ken have started a real grassroots operation with doing, you know, just putting posters on jars to have collections at at local pet shops, you know, to let people know what we're what we're doing. There are a lot of herb societies all over the country, and I and please forgive me for not for not naming them. Well, I'm not going to name any of them for, for you know because I don't I can't name all of them but who are doing a lot of work to raise awareness, to raise money, to help fund to help fund the fight. I mean, there's a lot of good stuff that's going on. There are a lot of people being brought together by this crisis. The thing that I want to see, the thing that I want to impress upon everyone who's listening tonight is the idea that we need to keep that momentum going, okay? Whatever happens at the next Lacey hearings, okay, whether we, whether we win or not, the idea is to keep, to stay together as a unified front and try to gather momentum. Try to bring in people not only that own reptiles different than what you own, but try to get your friends who own dogs and horses and cows and pigs and cats and dogs to come work with us to help this. Because the more they the more they chip away at our rights, the more of a foothold it gives the government to chip away at everyone's rights. And I think it's important that that we not just as reptile owners, but as a country, understand that that's going on and work to keep our momentum growing and to try to slow down the people who are trying to keep us from having our pets. That's right. Well said, Andy. I agree. All right. Um, Andy, I want to tell you, it's been an excellent show with you. I I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, You have an open invitation to come back anytime you want. In fact, uh, I definitely uh, think we should we should do a show maybe in the next few months or so again. There's a lot more things that we could definitely hit on. Um, so yeah, thank you, thank you very much. 
No, thank you for having me, David. Absolutely. I'll give you a call during the week, and we can uh, go over things. All right. Sounds like a plan. Yeah, and don't forget that other thing we got to put together uh, after the after the new year. We won't show our hand, but you know. Absolutely. <laughs> cool. All right. Thanks again, Andy. I'll talk to you soon. Yep. Thank you, David. And thank All you, right. everyone who tuned in and listened. All right. Cool. So, Angela, you still with me? <laughs> yes, I'm still listening. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, what did you think of the show tonight? I think it was awesome. I think, honestly, we could probably do multiple shows talking about different aspects of, you know, ethics and ethical behavior in the industry, but that's just me. (laughs) I don't think you could ever cover it in two hours. I know. I know. There's so many other things I want to talk about. I mean, I see the way you conduct yourself online and in the group. Um, I see the way a lot of people do. And, you know, I think the majority, majority of us conduct ourselves very, very well out there. There is a few of us that do conduct themselves very poorly, and they're conducting themselves very poorly in a lot of places. So it appears like there's more of them than there are of the people that conduct themselves well. I mean, that's my opinion. That's the way I see it. Um, what do you think? <laughs> I think the same thing. Um, you know, I'm a freak twice over. I keep reptiles, and I'm a homeschooler, and... I don't know if you ever hear, like, you know, a couple times a year, there's this huge news story about a homeschooler who's, you know, killed their kids or something, you know. And there are millions of, well, I think there's like two million families homeschooling in the United States right now. But all you ever hear about is the bad stories, you know. I admire the same thing. You know, I admire people that homeschool their kids today. I think it's a very enlightened way to raise your children. so, you know, I mean, I, I'm sure, oh, there's bad parents and every type of, you know, thing, but I don't want to go off into that tangent tonight, but, yeah. no, that's cool. But I think you get it, Angela, and I think most of the people that listen to the show get it, and I think most of us out there do get it. So um, I'm going to let you go, Angela. I'm going to play our ending plug, okay. and then I'll come back with my road, my uh, closing remarks. Okay. Thanks for Thanks. calling in, Angela. <laughs> okay, bye. Bye. All right, everybody, hang tight. I'll be back in a minute with my closing remarks. Gecko Nation Radio is a David Spine Gecko's creation and production. You can visit the show's Facebook page at Gecko Nation Radio. I also have a great family-friendly group on Facebook called Gecko Nation. Apply for membership today. The jazz music you heard tonight was generously donated and created by Jeremy Turgeon of J&D Reptiles. Thank you very much, Jeremy, for the great musical pieces. You can check out Jeremy at J&D Reptiles on YouTube and on Facebook. And a very special thank you to our news anchor, graphic designer, and audio tech, Steve Barker. All the graphics, audio sponsor plugs, and music overlays were assembled by Steve. Check out Steve on YouTube at BC Barker Creations. He has some terrific videos for the herp community with amazing geckos and snakes. Please support the U.S. Herpetocultural Alliance. They are our most effective defense against legislation that threatens our rights of exotic animal ownership. Sign up for their newsletter and donate if you can at usherp.org. All right, everybody. Um, Awesome show tonight. I also want to uh, let everybody know that um, I think the shortest route to our goal is to 
Um, definitely support US ARC. I know Herp Alliance is no longer doing advocacy that much. Um, of course, I'm going to still support Herp Alliance in their endeavors, and I'm also going to support US ARC as well. Um, I want to see us win. I want to see us save, uh, save thing that we all love. And um, I think the shortest route to our goal of doing that is to support uh, all of these organizations, PJAC, um, all of them. So whatever you can do to support these organizations that are doing these things for us, um, do it. And definitely try to get that same help from others. Um, coming up Tuesday, uh, that's in two days, December 17th, is the roundtable discussion, the second one we're doing. And this roundtable discussion is with Matt, uh, Marsha, and John Scarborough, and it's all about breeding and incubation. Um, so if you guys are wondering how um, the best way to incubate your eggs and you know set up your geckos for breeding, I got three of the best breeders coming on to talk about that with us. Um, it's going to be a great episode. Also, uh, the episode is sponsored. In addition to our regular great sponsors, it's also sponsored by uh, Sea Serpents, Reptile Rack, and Hotbox Incubators, uh, both using genuine FlexBot Reptile heat paper cores and um, awesome racks. If you guys need the highest quality racks um, with great, just heavy-duty materials, it's made of the best plastics, the best construction. I've seen the incubators firsthand at the last Hamburg show, and they look like something from outer space. They're so cool. They're so they got the like real nice lighting inside and everything. Um, and of course with FlexLive, of course. I gotta say that over and over. But um definitely check out seaserpents.com and Hotbox Incubators. They're one company now. And um, tune in Tuesday night at eight PM Eastern. Uh, I just want to thank everybody in the chat room tonight. You guys are awesome. Chat room is filled. Um, I love when that happens. And um, looking forward to Tuesday's show. Hope you guys can be there. Until then, Gecko Nation Radio signing off.